This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 50 for subscribers of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. And today is Share the Show Tuesday. So if you know anybody who is ready to have their scales pulled from their eyes or people who just have gotten so sick of the mainstream media, they don't stay plugged in anymore. And you think that they should at least know what's coming, which we pretty much always deliver. Please share the show with them. And if you are paying subscriber, then just share the propreport.com. And also today on Share the Show Tuesday, I like to tell people where there are some meetups in their towns or states or cities where they could find like-minded people. And we do that courtesy of the Higher Side Chats. So you can go to HigherSideMeetups.com slash events. But I will tell you at the end of the show, for people in Ohio, Montana, Arizona, and Washington State, what they can do to meet people in their areas. And as you may know, tomorrow is my last DNB, but Binkley's going to carry on with the DNB and I'm going to do a little morning mini pod and I will continue to shout out meetups on Tuesdays from the higher side chat. Maybe I'll fold in no agenda. And if you want to send me a meetup, I will send you a propaganda report t-shirt. So do that to the propaganda report podcast at gmail.com and stay tuned till the end of the show to see who's meeting whom at the next week or two in your neighborhood. All right. Well, we have a lot of chaos about Elon Musk taking over Twitter or buying Twitter. And the most interesting outside of Trump saying he's not going to rejoin Twitter, obviously he's got True Social. And I'll tell you a little bit about how True Social might be impacted or where it stands in the XR. But the most interesting part of the fallout from the Elon Musk acquisition of Twitter is that The EU has targeted him with a Twitter moderation warning. And this is the EU internal market commissioner, Theory Britton, tweeted today that Twitter must quickly adapt to its rules on content moderation. He said that, be it cars or social media, any company operating in Europe needs to comply with our rules regardless of their shareholding. Mr. Musk knows this as well. Go ahead. So this is actually one of the things I was following up on on this story is that the EU just a few days ago passed a massive. Yes. Yeah. Do you have that? That's what I was about to go into. Okay, because Thierry, whatever his name is, uh, he was instrumental in drafting that law. Yeah. And Elon Musk buys Twitter shortly after this law passed. I think this all is definitely connected. I got that, too. This may be the first time ever we have the same story. Yes. So 
He said that Musk is familiar with the European rules on automotive and he will quickly adapt the Digital Services Act, the DSA. Now, we have talked about the DSA for a long time while they were constructing it because we have deconstructed some videos from a group called the Center for Countering oh. Digital Hate that very much relied on the DSA <laughs> to <laughs> model. Hate. Yes, it's content moderation after to remove anybody who questions the vaccine, anybody who is going to a mask protest. It basically falls under disinformation for the DSA, which the DSA is a European law that has broader range to interpret what hate speech is, stuff like that. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that. It but covers a lot. It really does. Not just that. Yeah. Right. It covers a whole and bunch definitely of Definitely. We would love to have this, I think, like our powers that be. Yes, I, I agree completely. So Brenton also spoke with the Financial Times and he said, we welcome everyone. We are open, but on our conditions, on our conditions, the EU is open. At least we know what to tell him. We'll say, Elon, there are rules. You are welcome, but these are our rules. It's not your rules which will apply here. And then they say that Twitter's board, if they don't comply with the EU regulations, there will be sanctions, which is 6% of their revenue. And if they continue to not comply, then they will be banned from operating in Europe. Now, that 6% revenue penalty is part of the DSA, the Digital Services Act. Here are some of the new obligations that are included with the DSA. And again, it applies to European citizens and companies, but big tech companies, global tech companies, the expectation is that they'll have one policy around the globe that will be modeled off of the DSA. The big problem with that kind of thing is when it's when there's a lot of regulatory barriers and they target these big guys, the big guys are the only ones who can really afford to comply. And if they're showing that that's a standard that can be achieved, it really deters or limits any kind of startup competition, which is bad for us and good for them. But that's just a little. Exactly. Yeah, It's like global government for the Internet as well. That is modeled by this European Digital Act. Okay, so more of the obligations that the DSA will require. Removing illegal content and goods must be done more quickly. They must explain to users and researchers how their algorithms work, so they must be transparent about them. Yes, that that's the thing that I think is absolutely critical. For some reason, it has come up in every single solitary conversation. Jack Dorsey said it. Elon Musk said it. Yeah. Um, It was a big factor in that Francis Haugen thing with Facebook that uh, the transparency and the algorithms, I think Facebook is even involved in litigation over that. There is something I don't know if it's because algorithms can decide elections or what. Now, just opting out, which is what Dorsey suggested, I think is would be fine. Just opting out the algorithms that feed you stuff that that would kind of take away the control, the power of it. But that's not what anybody really expects to shake out. Somebody wants to control it from on high. There is some language in the act that says talks about opting out the ability to opt out. Here's a couple of other rules. So, yeah, the six percent fine and the act says that they are to ensure that the platforms are held accountable for risk their services can pose to society and citizens. And so that is that's a negation of Section 230, which is something that Biden wants to abolish. Um, And Trump said the same thing when two when both sides want to hit something for totally opposite reasons. But that's obviously the agenda item of the us versus uh, them. Definitely. And the larger And they plat- also, sorry, they want to expose the algorithm, not just allow you to opt out. Right. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the larger 
global companies, the the fines and penalties are more the bigger that they are. But they also will be required to provide more insight into how the online risk evolve and data around it. So it's data collection, massive data collection. And all of this stuff, by the way, falls in line with ESG standards from the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum. This is the type of stuff that they recommend that they these companies are adapting. And then the online marketplaces have to keep basic information about traders on their platform so they can track down individuals that are selling individual illegal goods and services. And new strategies must be created to deal with information. This provision was inspired by the invasion of Ukraine. So that should tell you something right there. And It'll follow the principle that what is considered illegal in Europe should also be considered illegal speech online. Hmm. And that is very different than what is illegal in the United States. They do not have as many First Amendment rights as we do. They're not as concerned with it anymore. And one official said that it's not a slogan anymore that what is illegal offline should also be dealt with as illegal online. Now, it is, is that true about the free speech thing? Do they not have the same kind of protections? They have more, according to Foreign Policy magazine, actually, they have more broad range to interpret and identify something as hate speech than we do right Right. now because of the First Amendment. I know. Yeah, Germany, certainly. Like, I've seen it in action in Germany. Yeah. I've tried to send people stuff in Germany that they're not allowed to get. Really? Books. Mm -hmm. So this would definitely not be a good thing, as you pointed out a second ago. And I think something that's going on here with Elon Musk getting Twitter shortly before or shortly after that this DSA was passed and they will be moving forward to implement it and it won't be implemented right away. It'll possibly take a couple of years to fully implement it. But every war, and this is part of an information war on the, the public of the world, I believe, every war has to have that crystallizing villain or or a handful of villains. We have Putin, we have Trump that represents the evil that you get people to rally against. And I think that what we have in Elon Musk is we have the online version of Putin or online version of Trump that is that very that that very polarizing character that you can mobilize masses around to hate and I think he is going to represent the opposition against this world digital global government government and he says these things that sound good even though we know he wants to authenticate everybody and we know that he wants to put chips in people's brains yeah. and we know he's buddy buddies with all these other billionaires and everything and I think that that's what this is. I, I think that he's being set up to be the the villain that falls, that shows that capitalism, that shows that the the old way of the world, or America anyway, no longer works, and we must adopt to this EU Great Reset model of governance. Yes, I remember you saying that yesterday, and then I thought today when Jen Psaki came out, it put like the whole other side of the coin, which is, I'm sure you heard what she said, that she said, as a general matter, no matter who owns or runs Twitter, the president has long been concerned about the power of large social media platforms, the power they have over our everyday lives, and has long argued that tech platforms must be held held accountable for the harms they cause. Um, and that Biden is a strong supporter of fundamental reforms, including reforming 230, that uh, which protects social media companies from being legally liable for the content their users post. He has advocated for antitrust reforms, requiring more transparency from the companies, and he's encouraged that there's a bipartisan interest in this in Congress. So this is all that she said yesterday in response to the Elon Musk thing. So my guess is that Elon Musk is going to go overboard with the free speech. People are going to get hurt, yada, yada. And this story 
about Gonzalo Lira folded in. So remember I said that this guy was all over the Internet for being arrested in Ukraine and that the Daily Caller got him basically arrested by calling attention to him, even though he was pretty much out there. I'm thinking here is a guy. So now he's been recovered. He, he emerged. He was in custody for a week. He signed some documents that he wouldn't discuss what happened. He's lucky to be alive, yada, yada, yada. And it's and then Kim Iverson, who gets an awful lot of airplay these days, was saying that uh, she had the story of this guy and she was saying how, you know, the Daily Caller put him in danger. But can you really censor them? And of course, by asking the question, you're already putting that in play. And then her little sidekick chick was saying, you know, regular ordinary people just they don't have the time or the, you know, the expertise to sift through whether Gonzalo Lira is lying or the Daily Caller is lying. I mean, this is just a real head scratch. So obviously all of these stories are coming together to yeah. promote more of this kind of online censorship. Definitely. We did that deconstruction of uh, the CFR with the CIA agents, the former CIA agents that were talking about how the problem with stopping Russian disinformation in the United States is when it comes from Americans. They were like, we can stop it coming from RT because that is state backed by Russia. But th when those messages are coming out of the mouths of Americans, that's the problem in the United States. I'm seeing this DSA Act, how they want to apply this global standard that they want the big tech companies to follow. And they have a wider range and more flexibility in apply and calling things hate speech and calling things disinformation then if companies ad adapt those standards then i can see that as a way of quote getting rid of disinformation that is coming out of the mouth of an american by saying that you have to be removed under the eu oh, yeah. DSA oh, yeah. And it's that whole backdoor fascism thing where they have the global corporations impose regulations that are then adopted by the laws, the government, because they're going to say they're in they're um, unequally applied. And another big standard is when a company can do something that's safety oriented, it becomes the industry standard. And then you are held to that level of that bar like in tort law or whatever which is of yeah. course what should govern these things yeah and i think that they might have tried zuckerberg out for this role of villain digital villain online villain and he is just too weird and not it's a robot yeah but elon musk he speaks like trump does on social media so it makes yeah. it easy for them to use him and he might be a willing participant yeah and dorsey was a model but not an actor right he's not yeah he's too chill <laughs> really and one other interesting story here is there's been all these stories about how employees inside Twitter can't even speak because they're so shocked and crippled. I mean, if you if that's true, if there's actually somebody who's just so devastated that Elon Musk has bought Twitter that they cannot even speak, then they have some serious, serious problems and need to go work on themselves. You know, this uh, Saudi Arabia was a big investor in Twitter. I wonder if they're if they're going to hold their stake in there. I mean, they only had 5%, I think, so. I Maybe they're devastated. Maybe they can't speak as well. But what I'm anticipating here, because a lot of these furious Twitter employees, they took to Twitter to complain about Musk and to internal message boards. I'm expecting some sort of intrapreneur event Maybe mm -hmm. maybe somebody sticks yeah. around and leaks something, but something to cause some conflict and reveal something evil and bad about yeah. Musk. Maybe internal. Maybe they'll they'll actually mess around with the algorithm. Perhaps. That's a good point. Via the algorithm wars. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. 
Russia has accused NATO of a proxy war in Ukraine. What a shocker, because <laughs> wow. A proxy war in Ukraine, which is exactly what appears oh, to be going on. Yeah, and that Moskva, like there's no real good explanation for how that ship got sunk. Right, yeah, we still don't know that. Even Ukraine though, doesn't have a navy. Even though we're told that what Russia says about it is a lie, they say, we don't know what happened, but what we know is that what Russia is yes, saying yes. is not true. That's, yes. Yeah, that's how like, I know there's up. no, I know there, I have no idea where the universe came from, but I'm positive it wasn't God. Exactly. So the foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, he also warned against provoking a third world I war. I love that guy. And he said that, <laughs> yeah, uh, the threat of a nuclear conflict should not be underestimated. And he said this after the Secretary of State Blinken said that Russia was failing in its war aims and that Ukraine was succeeding. They always say that. They'll be like, Ukraine is winning, succeeding. Then they'll be like, Russia kills 5,000 babies. And I pulled a couple of articles that speaks to this idea of a proxy war. One is a story about what Joint Chiefs of Staff General Mark Milley said during an interview with CNN, which was that the entire global international security order put in place after World War II is at stake if Russia gets away cost-free following its invasion of Ukraine. Then he said, if this is left to stand, if there is no answer to this aggression, if Russia gets away with this cost-free, then so goes the so-called international order. And if that happens, then we're entering into an era of seriously increased instability. And then he went on to say that we don't have time to waste. The briefings today laid out clearly why the coming weeks will be so crucial for Ukraine. So we've got to move at the speed of war. And I know that all the leaders leave today more resolved than ever to support Ukraine in its fight against Russian aggression and atrocities. So moving at the speed of war, the global international security order is at stake. Russia must not get away cost-free. Combine that with all the weapons we're sending them, all the money we're sending them, then this very much seems to support the idea that we're involved in a proxy war. Then we have another story about a summit that the United States hosted in Germany today where they discussed the operational picture on the ground in Ukraine and what ways Ukraine's long-term national security interests could be best met, as well as how continued support on the ground for Ukraine was necessary. And there was a readout from the State Department that talked about this summit that said, as part of our continuing assistance, Secretary Austin also informed the government of Ukraine that the U.S. Department of Defense will expand military training for Ukrainian service members in the region on certain weapon systems being provided. He also highlighted U.S. efforts to accelerate the delivery of these weapons, and he underscored that, along with our allies and partners, the United States will continue to coordinate the shipment of additional heavy weaponry, ammunition, and spare parts from other nations. That could support the idea that there's a proxy war going on. And finally, we have this story here about how the U.S. gave Ukraine near real-time intel about exactly when and where Russian missiles and bombs were intended to strike in Ukraine, which enabled Ukraine to shoot down a Russian transport carrying hundreds of Russian troops. So there's story after story that says that this is a proxy war. Russia says it's a proxy war. Our media says that's BS. That's crazy. We're definitely in a proxy war, and I'm worried yeah. that we're actually pushing Obviously. World War Three. Yeah. All right. So I brought some narrative war warfare stuff because this is what we're really seeing 
just play out is kind of an intense worldwide narrative warfare. And a couple of years ago, we did some deconstructions of some really interesting narrative warfare panel discussions with a woman named Ajit Mon. She's trains people in narrative warfare. She's written books that national security professionals use as like textbooks, according to her and according to her website. And this is an article that she wrote for foreign policy. Very interesting stuff here. This was back in 2015 that she wrote this article. But I want you to think about like how it applies to what's going on today. Here are a few of the highlights of the article. She says, ideas and narratives are different things. Often ideas inform narratives. The most influential ideas are presented in narrative form, but fundamentally narratives form our ideas. And then she kind of shows the the progression. Through narrative, we co-construct our personal cultural identities. Our ideas and beliefs then result from those identities, and then our actions follow. So it starts with narrative, gives us our beliefs, and then our actions follow based on that, stemming down from that narrative created by the people up top. And then the effect of the narrative on our brain can clearly be seen through neuroimaging. They're doing neuroimaging to see how narratives affect our brain. Wow. Yeah. See, they have such sophisticated tools I mean, the idea is uh, yeah. like they couldn't fool everybody. It's like, well, it's not that. It's that they are flexible enough. They do these scenarios. They know how people are affected. They know they literally. Yeah, they have brain scans on how buzzwords and stuff work. I mean, come on. I'm not saying it's hopeless. I'm just saying let's acknowledge that they have that. And maybe that's all we need to do is just everybody acknowledge, okay, they're like trying to control your mind. Like MK Ultra is real and it's everywhere. I will give you something that fits perfectly to what you just said. In this article, and this is 2015, I'd like to see an update on this. DARPA is using neuroimaging to determine precisely what features internal to narratives interrupt or facilitate narrative comprehension in the brain. DARPA. So That makes sense. Who totally. else? Right. Didn't the internet come from DARPA? I do believe. I think so, yeah. Yes. Here's a couple of other highlights from this article. What is narrative? Um, ideas alone do not mobilize action, not until they are narrated. Narrative lies in the assignment of motivation and meaning to all of the events that support the overarching theme or the title of a whatever, a, a narrative, great narrative. And narratives are about meaning. They're not about the truth. Ideas are can be true or false, she says, but narratives are either successful or not. That's how you're to judge them, not, not based on truth value. And they're judged based on, they don't rely on truth value for their success. And she says, this is why ideologies do not have to be grounded in truth. It is the narratives that carry the day. And this is the part that you're really going to, you're really going to love here. An idea can be logically unsound and still influential if it is housed in a powerful narrative and credibility, not truth is an important aspect of narrative influence. In order to assure credibility, the narrator needs to be viewed as credible. That means it would be most effective if the narrator is in the end target group. If that is not possible, the narrative mm -hmm. should be shared by civilians wow. rather than state or military representatives. And the narrative itself, so, yeah. These are carpetbaggers. This is yes. what I always say about Stacey Abrams. It's right. like you can't yes. Yes. look for the hand up her back. Like, I'm not totally. saying that she isn't smart and she couldn't be an agent, but she actually she's too smart. If she were dumber and could actually just be a mouthpiece face job, then she'd do a better job. But she's got her brain attached to her mouth and it makes it harder for her to like lie and stuff. You know, yeah. I think. 
But yeah, that's that's what I always said about her and all these. They they literally have these high school programs that are just for people of color. And you think it's to give them a hand Mm -hmm. up until you look at how everyone behind it. It's kind of like the when you did the expose on the Black Lives Matter. It's like everybody behind it are these elite white people. And you're like, hey, why do you care about these people so much? I mean, it's getting old and it's not true because the Great Reset has really fucked people over from the uh communities of color yeah to that very point she goes on to say that the narrative itself in order to be received as credible must reflect the experiences of the audience so they craft these people to appear to be like those whom they speak to and then they put them in up front and i'm not going to go through all this i'm going to save some of it for tomorrow because there's a lot of great stuff in here but i want to give you one final one here and she says a narrative is like poetry it doesn't make sense to say a poem is untrue or inaccurate truth is irrelevant to poetry what is relevant is that it strikes a chord in experience the same is true in narrative that's outrageous yes yeah, so what we're seeing play out has nothing to do with truth and i think it's everybody just- listening to this knows that it's all about manipulating the democracy, right? I don't, I don't care about democracy, but I'm just saying, like, democracy is such a powerful tool because you can just manipulate the crap out of people with these narratives, uh-huh. and then there's no accountability because they are the ones who have already bought in. Right, and they're doing so with these narrative storytelling tactics that we see on television that hit our unconscious minds that they're testing with neuroimaging at DARPA. Oh, it's, yeah. I mean, that was like a patent Dean sent me of like, I think television tubes and how they hypnotize you, and that's just the beginning. Like other stuff, I'm sure the more modern stuff is worse. But yes, uh, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, I'll bring some more of that tomorrow. A lot of good stuff in there. Okay. Well, before we get to our deepest dive of the day, where we'll try to get the bottom of the DeSantis-DeVos team up, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the XR. Did I just crack the code on hepatitis in kids? And Wimbledon is very picky about its propaganda. But before we get to any of that, a big thanks to the sponsors of today's show. Of course, True Hemp Science. We love TrueHempScience.com. Really super, super high quality CBD products. It's just amazing stuff. I was never a true believer, but now I am absolutely a true believer. And I do love the variety of tidbits like gummies and cookies and brownies and this nano emulsified CBD oil, which I just love. Like I just use a few drops in water after dinner no wine nothing and i feel like it's uh helps me relax i love it so anyway that is uh, a most sincere thanks to truehemscience.com and also i would like to encourage anyone who wants to continue to hear all of the offerings that binkley and i will put under the propaganda report banner as well as our deep dive live please uh, support us on rockfin.com slash propaganda report and you can find uh actually i think we have just reams of archives there that if you join up you can find all of our past work since we joined rockfin as well as all of the exclusive content from the other creators on Rockfin. It's really bargain. And uh, we encourage you to support us there. And now on to the deepest dive of the day. 
So I noticed DeSantis is in the news basically constantly. And he is trying to help DeVos, Betsy DeVos, the former Department of Education cabinet member, leader, whatever. She is championing a bill in Michigan, Let Michigan Kids Learn. And the way she is doing it is, I believe it was defeated through the normal process, but if you get 500,000 signatures, you can get the bill directly to the legislature and it is not subject to governor approval, so it can't be vetoed or anything. Now, people are criticizing her for using that method. And like I was saying right before the break, their democracy is comes down to propagandizing the people. So I actually understand the critique of it. However, it, it it's actually been a good thing to have referendums. I've found for the most part, like in California and stuff. And it's pretty outrageous for them to say that she's sidelining checks and balances and subverting the legislative process when everything from gay marriage in California to smoking bans in New York to the lockdowns around the country have been a function of subverting checks and balances, subverting the legislative process. Our democracy is not safe from the people who are criticizing her for making our democracy unsafe. And generally, I'm okay with the stuff that she's doing. I think Georgia had something like this where you can get tax deductions for contributing to a scholarship fund and that that some of the money from that fund will go to kids uh, who you can go for a variety of educational purposes. And generally speaking, actually, personally, I just think that all educational expenses should be tax deductible because anything that's paid for by taxes is obviously considered some kind of like government responsibility. So just let them deduct it from taxes. I don't know. They say that that will undermine public schools. I don't care for public schools. So I don't care about that. But I have two kind of issues with this. DeVos, like Condoleezza Rice and the Council of Foreign Relations, is a big defender of charter schools. And a lot of charter schools are STEAM and STEM oriented, which Charlotte Ezerbeet has said to us that, and she was in the Department of Education as well under Reagan, that that you really can't have a self-governing society who doesn't learn the liberal arts, who doesn't understand civics. So STEAM and STEM is actually a way to make like little human machines, but not really good people who understand rhetoric and governor, self-governance. And the other thing that I find to be kind of, um, normally I'm not so, I always think there's some bigger, bigger thing. Actually, in this case, I think that this this bears the earmarks of trying to get government policies to conform to something that you're poised to benefit from financially. This is a kind of PPP thing. Just just make it all tax deductible and then nobody gets those government contracts. Nobody gets that money. But it's effectively privatizing public education. I'm in for private education, but I just I'm a little skeptical about her motives here. And then, and I'm sure people love her, and I'm not saying that I'm 100% right. She could be perfect, and maybe her, she chose this line because she felt that it was a way for her to do good and do well, as they say. Then when I realized that she's Eric Prince's sister, I was thinking, wow, that's really weird because Eric Prince is the guy who founded Blackwater, which is like a mercenary organization. And it was really, I mean, he has been the subject of scandals and exposés. I'm not saying he's a bad guy, although my guess is I 
if I really dug into him, I would think he was a bad guy. He definitely has CIA contracts. It's all about that. But what was interesting to me was that it's kind of the same model. It's taking a function that people defend the existence of government based on, which is like national defense, and in her case, education, depending on what angle you take about the legitimacy of government, taking something that justifies our taxation under the grounds that only government can provide it, and then saying, well, government can't provide it, I'm going to provide it, but instead of providing it to the free market because there's no market for it there, I have to get government contracts. So anything that generates all of its revenue from government contracts, I'm generally suspicious of, especially if you're lobbying for laws that will promote your personal business. So this guy does uh, mercenary stuff. It generally speaking lacks transparency and is this kind of effectively a public-private partnership. And I fear that. And it's funny because I was just thinking this through. And when I saw that he, her brother was doing something that kind of smacked at the same thing. And I only really became aware of it when the Russians, um, basically the, the wall fell and the Russians started coming to New York and they got heavily invested in nursing homes. And I thought, and I actually knew somebody who overtly said this, like, where is the government money going? Is it Medicare, Social Security, welfare, wherever the government money is going, you get into a business that gets that government money because all you have to do is bribe a couple of guys and you can have a really inefficient, highly profitable company and you can block out all competition because it requires licenses and getting that those contracts. Once you get that contract from your buddy and pay him off, you're on easy street for years and years. So there's a big scam in trying to get government money as an political means of wealth generation rather than an economic means. And I do think uh, that that critical race theory, transgenderism in elementary school, mask wearing, these are all pushing parents who normally would have been very middle of the road to take sides. And they will funnel their money into these PPPs and the public-private partnerships. And I got to think both left and right are elbow deep in this stuff. Like, I think that they will both benefit. I think that uh, I can't help but think that that these extreme issues, that Leah Thomas thing is really meant to get people who are very middle of the road to have to choose a side. And I just, I don't want public schools at all. And if a kid needs financial aid to get through grammar school, which is pretty much I think all that you really need to learn the three R's, then maybe if you have to have public aid for it, then maybe make it like applying to financial aid like college. And it would cut way down and it would also make it more clear that public school is just a wealth transfer. It's just a wealth transfer and... They want it to be top down because they want it to actually be a place for indoctrination. But I don't want any of this public private partnership stuff at best have a tax deduction. Otherwise, just eradicate all public schools. That would be ideal. Yes. Well, they tend to be moving towards more and more public private partnerships with the global fascism that we're seeing. I think you're exactly right about that polarization of where people are taking extreme ideas that are being put out there. It swallows up people who were thinking and people who are in the middle previously. This is a war propaganda tactic. They try really hard to make sure people are not neutral. Yeah. So, okay. Um, I do have a bunch of shout outs. I wanted to tell people about some higher side chat stuff. And I think one or two of these is also some propaganda report people. So April 28th, which is soon, bruise and unacceptable views at the uh, Roadhouse in Swanton, Ohio. That's April 28th, six o'clock. 
Higher Cider Chimicum Chit Chats in Finn River Farm and Cidery in Chimicum, Washington. That's May 8th at 5 o'clock. May 4th, may the 4th be with you, <laughs> the Seattle Higher Side Chat Inquisition at Central Cafe in Seattle, May 4th at 7.30. And May 7th is our friend Travis, May 7th, Face Your Freedom Rally Meetup at Liquid Planet in Missoula, Montana, May 7th at 9 a.m. Liquid Planet at 9 a.m. Hmm. Well, that's what it says. And uh, our friend Scott in Arizona wants to reach out to skeptically minded critical thinkers who value peace, freedom, and good old fashioned fun. He is our friend from the Rye Guys. He is going to start a local meetups group for events in the greater Prescott area. So if you want to make new friends while sharing some laughs and great conversation, send an email to Scott at info at ryguys.com, W-R-Y-G-U-Y-S.com. He'll keep you posted. So if you're in Arizona, reach out to Scott. And I told him that if he wanted to do a meetup with me and I could get out there, I would. He'd have to work around my schedule, but I could try. So connect with him if you want to stay plugged in to that. Fantastic. Thank you, Monica. Interesting as always. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform or the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to the extra content that we drop when we drop a DMV, you can check us out at patreon.com slash propaganda report, rockfin.com slash propaganda report, and propreport.locals.com where we have different offerings on each platform. We will talk to you all next time or in the DMB XR. Have a fantastic Share the Show Tuesday.